All right, welcome in. New edition of the Winning Plays podcast. I am Brian Robb. Now, in case you missed last week's episode, we had to, unfortunately, say goodbye to Rich Levine, who's going to be spending more time with the family going forward. He's just not going to have enough time to, to do the podcast on a week-in, week-out basis. We'll be checking in with him periodically, but moving forward, Winning Plays will still be continuing. A lot of people weren't sure about that. It is still going to go on. We're going to have a revolving cast of co-hosts, Starting today with Ryan Bernardoni, formerly of Celtics Hub, but there'll be a lot of familiar names involved. Um, BJX, Sweetie Tirada, and some new names as well um, joining me on a weekly basis here. So definitely stay tuned to Winning Plays each and every week going forward. Subscribe, rate, review us. Without further ado, let's go to today's show with Ryan. This is the Winning Plays podcast on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider for the NBA's winningest franchise. All right, brand new edition of the Winning Plays podcast. I am Brian Robb, joined today by Ryan Bernardoni, one of many revolving guest co-hosts in the weeks to come here at the Winning Plays podcast. But Ryan, you kick us off here out of the gate. And, you know, this is the first time we're actually going to talk this year during the season, Ryan. And I think that's a good thing right now, based on how the first two weeks went for the Celtics team. They've turned things around from a two and five start to now I believe 10 and 8, won 8 of 11 overall, including a, an 18-point win over the Rockets last night. And I don't know, like, what's, what's your initial thoughts on how things have gone this year and where, where things are at right now, Ryan? Yeah, it's been an interesting start to the year. Um, to say, to say the least. least. <laughs> yeah, it's, really, it's like there's two, two distinct seasons. It's like, oh, this was the worst-case scenario, and maybe this hasn't been the best-case scenario since then with, the, with some of the injuries. But... Uh, it's been quite a, a significant turnaround since the the uh, meeting that was apparently not very productive, but turned the entire season around. <laughs> uh, but it's been, yeah, I mean, it's been good. They, they've looked in this run, I think, much more like what we expected them to look like in terms of a really active defense. Um, some Maybe it's just that it took a little while, took a couple of weeks for some of the principles of of you know being very switch heavy in the way that they've that they've been playing defense to to settle in. Maybe they just had bad luck in the first couple of games with teams making shots. Uh, and of course, maybe they've just had good luck in, in teams missing shots. They, they went, they've gone through a run where they've been holding teams to like 90 points or, or less, obviously, or I think four times now after the last game, four or five times in this, in the last 11. Uh, and like, nobody's going to do that for the long term. So uh, you can't expect to be, you know, the, the best defense in the league by, by 10 points forever. But um, in terms of like what you expected to see, right. That sort of defensive activity, that you looked at the talent on the team and thought would come. Jason Tatum's sort of settled in over these last four games and looks more like himself. You've gotten, I think, more than you could have expected from Schroeder in terms of, uh, you know, just pure scoring talent. Uh, but then around the, the roster, you know, you've seen a lot of guys who are sort of, this is what we had hoped for them, Smart and Horford and Rob Williams. And uh, so it's been a, a really good run here of 10 or 11 games after the, the Rocky start. And you hope that those seven, the first seven games are just like, Oh, that was just a blip. It's, you know, if it had been seven games in the middle of the season, it, it would have been sort of forgettable. It's just that we, we know it and talk about it because it was the beginning of the year. And we don't, obviously we can't be certain about that. Um, but it's good that they seem to have put it in, in the rearview mirror. There, there was a moment there at two and five where you were really looking at it saying like, you know, if they go on this road trip down to, to Florida and, and over to Dallas and they come back 0-3 and, and they're 2-8, and eight, like the whole season can really kind of slip away there. Oh, yeah. uh, and obviously that did not happen. Uh, and they, they turned around um, with those the two wins in, in Florida and have carried on from then. And, and now with Jalen coming back healthy and 
um, you know, everybody other than Josh Richardson, who I guess has non-COVID illness. Yeah, um, not, that's that's the official word from the team. Back to pretty close to to 100% health, which has been rare in recent years, uh, and and really rolling, you know, particularly on defense, but also showing some good signs on offense too. I think so. Things are looking very good as we head into into the holidays and something to be thankful for, I guess, is that they're, they're looking like a pretty good team again. So we don't have to all be miserable. Right. This is, this is cheery Ryan at Thanksgiving. on the winning plays. Pod. That's what, 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 exactly. What, do, what more can you want right now? Um, let's do start. Like, I mean, let's start with the defense though, because like you said, the two and five start, I think that was probably the most alarming part of that start was they, I think they ranked 27th in, yep. in the league. After that, too. So that it wasn't one thing where I was like, well, you're, you know, you've had some bad luck. Like, no, the, the thing you're supposed to build your team around has been, has been brutal so far. And to me, I, you know, I, you, you give some credit to, I think, Ime Odoka and his coaching staff here, and as well as the players, obviously. But it seems like he made, you know, they both were kind of trying to feel each other out in terms of like, okay, what, what, what's working here? Like, we know we're switching a lot, but we clearly were switching too much in some spots and, and over the last 10 to 11 games here, they really have seemed to figure out the scheme and are essentially giving themselves a chance to win every single game based on their defense alone, which is, I think how this team was, was built in the first place. Yeah. If you go back and look at the four, the first seven games, there's like an alarming thing that happens in those games at multiple times, every single game where one perimeter defender is literally pushing a teammate to the right place like it may not even be the right place what, what they think is the right place it's almost there's this sort of mass confusion on the perimeter with a lot of like basic actions on, on screens and you would see like smart like pushing schroeder towards a particular spot on the court or i think there was one point where even al horford pushed smart to a spot like not like you know shoving them but like sort of saying like i need you to be there and they were very much working through it and then it just kind of disappeared and the defense almost like snapped into place and, and everybody who was playing seemed to get it much more. And, and I think that it is noticeable that there is some amount less switching um, and things like that. But there was just so much in that those first handful of games where it's like botched switches or just guys going under screens who you would never expect to go under, like right. against good shooters, good perimeter defenders going under screens because they seem to not know where they're supposed to be going and just giving up these wide open shots. And, and yeah, I mean, I agree. It couldn't all be luck, but there was some amount of luck involved. And some of the stuff you know, obviously they were really terrible per 100, you know, sort of per 100 possession or per possession. That's why they were so bad in the league. But some of like the raw scores, like you play a couple double overtime games and you give up 130, but yet play 10 extra minutes. Like, so some of that stuff in there that, that I think wore down some of the defensive principles as well, just with fatigue and, and things like that. But it just looked really troubling in those early games. And then it didn't anymore. <laughs> Suddenly it looked ferocious and like they were never going to give up points to anybody. And that's again, obviously settled back some, uh, but you go into every game now thinking like, they're not going to get blown out. Uh, even what was the game recently that they, Oh, against Atlanta where at halftime they were like, they were overmatched in that game without, without Jalen or, or Rob, but at halftime they had fallen behind and I had said something, you know, on Twitter or something where I was like, I feel like with this defense, like they won't get blown out and they'll stay within hailing distance, even if I don't think they're going to win this game. And that's basically what happened is that the defense was there well enough and, even though Bogdanovich and, you know, went off and made a bunch of shots and Cam Reddish did the same thing. They weren't giving up like open shots like they were early in the season. It was just a team that sort of outplayed them on that, on that night when they were shorthanded. And that's like the worst defense we've seen in the past couple of weeks was, was like still a pretty good effort. Um, and the Hawks and so are rolling like, right now too. Yeah. Like that's no, a totally. really good team offense. That's a really good offense. 
fully healthy, a lot of shooters, Celtics were down players. Like it was no surprise that they lost that game. I'm, I'm not like picking out on that game as something bad. I'm saying like, if that's the worst of your performances, right. then that's a really good foundation to, to build on. And if they, if, if that's what their down periods look like from here on out, like they're going to be the best or the second or third best defense in the league. And if you're that, then you're going to make the playoffs. Like even if you have an average offense, then you're, you're going to be in. And I think that remains sort of the goal for the team is nobody thinks they're going to win the, you know, win the East or anything like that, but get, you know, climb into the non play in spots. And, and right now I feel pretty confident that that's where they're going to end up. I don't know where, where you are on that, but you know, I think six or higher feels right for the team considering how they're playing right now and sort of the foundational stuff that we've seen. I think that's a logo based on well, the state, the stats of the East right now, because you look around and yeah, so Brooklyn is number one where they're supposed to be. Uh, the Bulls have come flying out of the gate. They look legit. Miami is right there too. But then, you know, I guess, yeah. So if when you, you throw in the, when you throw in the, Milwaukee, know, like, right? Yeah, the throw Bucks the are going to be there. above. Right. And if I'm the like, 76ers get Embiid back and if they, I know they're saying that they're going to hold on to Simmons for two years, but if they trade him eventually for another good player and get, get healthy, because they, they have no, like they're wrecked by injuries and health right now. Um, and Simmons just not playing. So I, I think that those five teams that we expected to be above them are still right there. And they may jump above one or two of them. I'm not saying that six is where they're going to land, but I think six or higher feels right for them at the moment. I think as long as nothing happens with Simmons, that I think the Celtics have to, like they have to, it's unacceptable for them to finish below the, the Sixers in the standings if if they don't trade Simmons or if some type of, you know, if they mend fences there with the team and the cap Simmons back playing for them because from a talent standpoint and with all the COVID stuff they've gone through with Philly, like, you know, their strong start has essentially disappeared. Now they're both teams are at 10 and eight right now. And yeah, like Milwaukee is also at 10 and eight there. They've been ravaged by injuries and COVID too. And so, yeah, like you, it's tough to expect, you know, the Celtics to keep pace with them, but thirdly Philly, like the Celtics have more talent here and they've had their nightmare start right now. And I've, you know, I thought I was going to take them until like 2021 to kind of, get back to water here um, in the, in the East. But now since, you know, no one's breaking away from the pack and Chicago, you know, that's a, they're a fun story. They're a really fun team, but I don't, I'm not sure they're going to be able to sustain what they have going on all year long. So I think with the tools the Celtics have with the fact that they've shot so badly offensively and there's so much room for improvement on that end of the floor, I think, you know, top four is very much a, a reasonable and I think honestly should be an expected goal for this group, particularly if Brad Stevens, you know, decides, Hey, I can, this, this team may be worth investing a little bit into in a, in a season that's, I don't know, pretty wide open, at least from an Eastern conference standpoint, as long as Kyrie Irving is, is watching from the sidelines. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with most of that. So when you said that, you know, it's prerequisite that they finish ahead of Philly, it's hard to judge there. It's possible that, that Philly, has Embiid come back from what is a very prolonged and kind of troubling COVID, right? I mean, that's what he's been dealing with, I believe, right? Yeah, he's. But I bet um, you know when you're out for I two weeks, so the, the reconditioning for that, like, I think that's just makes sense for a guy like that who is so injury prone. Like, they prior, like, sure. we just have to, you know. No, play. no, I, I'm I'm not faulting them for it. I'm saying that I think they're probably doing the right thing. But we saw with Tatum how just because you come back doesn't mean that you're back right. from, from something like that. And it could be that that gives him a very difficult season and, and derails their season, or he might come back and pick right up where he left off. We just don't really know. Um, so it's hard for me to say that they should definitely finish above Philly, like playing without Simmons to, to begin the year when they were healthy, they were really good. And so they, they may all come back and, and be that way. It's just really difficult to tell right now. They, I think their entire starting five 
missed the game, missed their last game, and then they ended up winning it. But um, it's just, you know, it's a difficult team to predict right now. So coming into the season, this was not any amazing thing. I mean, every, I think most people had sort of similar tiers. Is my tiers for the East were uh, first tier one was Brooklyn and Milwaukee, who I thought would finish somewhere, both teams somewhere in the top three. Philly uh, was alone in my tier two. I thought they would finish somewhere in the top five, anywhere from one to five. And then tier three is where I had the Celtics, which I thought three teams that any, they could finish anywhere from second to ninth, and it wouldn't really surprise me. And that's the Hawks, the Celtics, and, and the Heat. And I think that it's, I think that's still sort of not finish in the playoffs, you know, into the direct playoff spot. They're, they're having a really difficult time, even though they've gotten healthy and, and we're rolling. Um, so they've been sort of up and down. I think Miami general perception is maybe better than what they really are. The Celtics, it's probably worse than it really is just because that the early season stuff sort of sticks. But that's that's six teams. Um, and you can swap, you know, Chicago and, and Atlanta there. But the sort of point of it is that it only takes one team to jump in order for the Celtics to be in seventh. So that's why I don't think it's like a guarantee or bare minimum that they will make that spot. Any one of those teams above, other than I think Brooklyn and Milwaukee, if Milwaukee ever gets healthy, you're always at risk of like, oh, the, a team like the Knicks jumps up or Chicago or I think Charlotte and Washington, right, who I had much lower. I thought they were, they would top out at, at a six seed. And I don't really think that that's wrong. Uh, but any, you know, there's just so many teams that if you're one team can always jump up and have a good year and finish fourth or fifth and push the team who you think is fifth or sixth best down into the playing spots. And, but that's where I think the defense sort of sustains you is that if they're a top, a top three, a top three defense, like they will finish in the top six. It's just, it's very hard sort of mathematically to not get there. Um, and if that's, they're not a top three defense right now, but they've been the best defense in the league over the last dozen games or so. So um, I think that's really what you're going. And, and again, to go back to sort of where we started, it makes sense for them to be a good defense. They have a lot of defensive talent. Uh, and I don't know if they have number one in the league defensive talent, but uh, they seem to have a good system that's really working and, and that fits their talent. And there are things about that could be frustrating in there, like the players that, that, you know, Ime Doka is choosing to play where Neesmith and Pritchard and players like that who are weaker defensively make a lot more mistakes um, are simply not playing. So you could say that part of the reason that their defense is so good is because they're relying on veterans who are better defenders and that may in the long term be bad and things like that. But um, with the way they're choosing to approach this season, uh, I think that defense will will ultimately sustain them and, and get them into where what I think the reasonable goal was to start the season and, and is still a perfectly reasonable goal to get there now. All right, now it's time for a message from our sponsor, Bet Online. It's Thanksgiving week, and we all know what that means. Lots of football here, and nothing goes better with football than turkey and betting. Bet Online has you covered all holiday season, more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this Thanksgiving. You can head to BetOnline's new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive 50% welcome bonus with promo code CONS50 to receive that bonus. And it's not just football. BetOnline has pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, even your Vegas, even your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. Bet online, they're stuffed with deals this Thanksgiving. All right, well, what to you has been the biggest, I'll say, pleasant surprise, or as a positive surprise and negative surprise from the season so far? And you can go player, 
you can go just, you know, part of the, you know, the team play as an element of the team's play. What do you, I'm, I'm curious to hear both sides of the coin here. Cause I think a lot of things have kind of fallen played here recently that have been expected, but I think there are some other elements that have, you know, been major surprises as well. Um, well, why don't we go through negatives quickly? Uh, because I think there are more positives and it's Thanksgiving. So we can talk about things that we can be <laughs> thankful for on the team. I, negatives are relatively straightforward for me. It's yeah. that the, it's that Pritchard and Neesmith are really not a part of the rotation. And Pritchard forgot to shoot, forgot how to shoot is. Yeah. Um, and Neesmith has not shot the ball well either. So that's really frustrating and, and disappointing. Um, and then, you know, the back end of the bench hasn't given them a whole lot, but that's why they're the back end of the bench. I was hoping for a little bit more out of Wancho. He gets out there and just sort of like jacks up, but doesn't make anything. And that has not looked good at any, in any way. Uh, so that's, you know, that's not great. The bigger thing is probably that there's some health concerns, right? We've Jalen, another injury that sort of seems like he picks these up on a, you know, a little bit of a regular basis. And then Rob, his knee flaring up again. So those are probably the biggest concerns. They're not surprises necessarily. The, the reason that those are concerns is because they aren't surprises that Jalen and Rob have had, you know, this, this type of, of injury in the past. And we're sort of looking at being like, oh, I hope that doesn't continue on for the entire year. Um, if, you, you know, six games into the year, we would have been saying, oh, the defense is a gigantic concern and surprise and terrible. But uh, with the way it settled in, that's no longer the case. So I don't really think there are any other major negatives. Like I would rather they be. 12 and six instead of 10 and eight, that would be nice considering that there aren't any, you know, big things that are going on right now that I think are negatives, but those are really the only negatives I had. I don't know if you have any others that I'm not thinking of here. Jalen yeah, or Jason obviously would have been a big concern, but the last four games, you're hoping that he's pulled out of that funk. Yeah. I mean, four, four straight three point games with, you know, MVP type numbers during that stretch. Um, you know, that certainly, puts any of those doubts you know to bed that uh off the dribble pull-ups are still way off and that was looked like it was going to be such a good shot for him two seasons ago and such sort of an important shot in the league particularly when you get into the playoffs and so like the complete the fact that that's basically abandoned him is probably another thing it's still a shot that he likes to take but the sidestep threes any of the isolation pull-up threes are just not going in and they really haven't been for a year now uh so i guess that would be another thing yeah that's something certainly to keep an eye on as over here, I have to say, I don't know if this is a negative surprise. I guess this is like a, a generic surprise or just a you know down the middle surprise. I mean, Rob Williams because it might correlate to the interest of Rob Williams playing over thirty minutes per game right now was a huge surprise, and it could be, I argue, but potentially slightly negative one in terms of where his work its workload has been at in the past and where you know if he's going to be if you want him to make through a full season. Obviously, you wanted him to be playing more than he was during the Brass Stevens era, but you know, throwing him out there for, you know, for the amount that we've had in these overtime and double overtime games have inflated a little bit, but that's almost in my mind, maybe pushing on the gas too much with him, just given his injury history. Um, so that's, you know, that, those, the minotos were him. And even a guy like smart, who's been, you know, up to playing career high 35 minutes per game right now. Like, I mean, Emi Adoka has been, you know, learning a little bit on the job here, but that's something you'd hope that it's, standardized a little bit too much um a little bit more as the season wears on here with you know just getting the minute totals back to a a level that's you know a good amount for all these guys to, to make it through the long haul here because they he's certainly pushed on the glass a lot early i think the team also gave him 
sort of put him in a position where he kind of had to do that at, at certain points because they got off to the slow start and you can't just keep dropping right. games and losing him. And, and so the way that he reacted to that was to rely on some of them even more. And then, like you said, there've been five overtime periods that, that add a little bit to that. Um, but yeah, I think those are both fair it, with Rob. I would, I would have said under other circumstances, like, Oh, the fact that he's able to play this many minutes is a pleasant surprise. But then with the knee flaring up, it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. That's why he doesn't normally play this many minutes, I guess. But he just has, I mean, he's looked, very, very good. He's certainly a, a pleasant surprise uh, just in general, although I guess maybe not. Maybe it's not a surprise that he's playing this well when you give him when you give him this many minutes and that he's doing sort of exactly what we would have expected. Uh, but I don't know. Do you, why don't you kick off the positives? What, what's what's made you happy about this season so far? I have quite a few, actually, even though yeah. I'm only 10 and 8. I want to bring up someone I don't think we've really mentioned at all. Um, well, and it, it's no... One, yeah, right? it's the obvious. I mean, Al Horford is, you know, obvious as, as hell, but the, the element of his game that I am most pleasantly surprised by his rebounding has been phenomenal. Um, he's has the best defensive rebounding rate of his career right now um, at age 35. And that's something where he's, I don't know whether Tim just playing a power forward a lot next to Williams. So he has, you know, he's just in that spot to get those boards right now. But the, during this turnaround stretch, the Celtics, the last 11 games, Ryan, Celtics are the top defensive rebounding team in the NBA since they've, you know, since they've gone eight and three here. That's, I don't know whether that's sustainable or not, you know, playing bigger lately with Cantor two has certainly probably helped a little bit in that department, but, you know, Al Horford's done a thousand great things defensively that have not been as surprised, but the fact that he's rebounding on top of it all, um, I think has just helped push, you know, his production and just the team's defense to a, a whole higher level here. Yeah. So we can run through a couple of these things with Al, right? Like you said, highest defensive rebounding rate uh, of his career, um, highest free throw drawing rate since he was 25 years old, wow. um, highest block percentage block percentage of his career by a mile, like over 6%, look, never been over 4% for an entire season. Some of these things are not going to hold up. So we no. can talk about, you know, that there will be a regression in some of these things. Um, Continues to rack up assists like a wing while turning it over like a center, which is not very frequently. Uh, and so all of that together, highest BPM and highest win shares for 48 of his career, again, in both cases by a long distance. Um, so is he earning his contract right now, Ryan? Is he earning his contract? Is he a $27 million player? It seems like he player? might be earning his contract <laughs> right now. Uh, so we came into the year after they traded him talking about how a lot of people assumed that the second year of his deal, well, they were going to wave and they were going to eat this you know pretty big dead nope. cap hit and i was saying like if that happens then the trade is probably going to look like a bad one and with how poorly kemba has played maybe it would just look like sort of a nothing um but my point was like the amount that you're cutting you hope that he plays like a 13 million dollar player and so you aren't waving him because you're, you're only talking about like the incremental amount that you're giving up because you knew he was going to play a heavy workload here and especially with only one season left like would he be so bad that you wouldn't keep him for that amount for a one year expiring, even if, you know, knowing that you might even just want to use them for trade in the middle of the year or something like that, you'd have to be really bad to, to be waived. I thought, unless there's just no way for them to get cap space. Like there's, you could talk about it because there were moves that came afterwards, but you're just looking at it at the time saying like, I don't think that he's dead money next year. I, I think the team is certainly hoping that he'll be able to play. Nobody thought he was going to play this well. There's no way the Celtics thought he was going to play this well coming into the year. He's looked as well, you know, as good as he's ever looked. He's looked like, like he did in his all-star seasons. And I don't think he's going to make the all-star team just because of the way that all-star works and that the East is pretty deep and there's a lot of players there. But like 
right now he could he, he, i mean if he made the team like statistically you would have to be like yeah okay um so yeah i agree that's the obvious one the i don't think there's like literally anything negative to talk about in his game right now this is three point uh, shooting but like then, whatever even like, that has come up right yes, i mean it, is, I, I it started to come around here I mean, something's thirty percent, thirty-one percent, thirty-one percent. Yeah, so but it's like, not great, but like, right? He's taking the right looks. There's nothing to like. Again, that's that's something where yeah, he's had a downstretch, but there's it's also sixty-five shots. Like, it's just right. not enough to just make any judgment enough. on. No, and and I feel especially lately, like I feel confident when he's taking the shot. If he he doesn't take bad shots, we know that. You know, I, I think he took one that he actually was a pull-up recently. I'm trying to remember which game, but he catches, he takes a catch and shoot three when when he should. And if they go in, I expect them to go in at you know, 36, 37% for the rest of the year. And that that's totally fine. And what you're looking for as normal, the fact that he's at 31% now, again, two, you know, two or three shots go in differently and his percents look totally different. Like it's just not enough shots to make any judgment on that. He's lost his three and everything else looks good. And again, some of it's going to regress. He's not going to block 6% of shots, six, you know, he's not gonna have a block percent of six for the entire year. It's just, it would make no sense for that to be the case. Um, but to this point, it's been really fantastic. And he's been consistent as hell too. Like yeah. from game to game, there's not, it's hard to remember like, oh, Corford had a dud. I don't even know if he's had a dud. I mean, he hasn't, he's had games where he hasn't taken many shots, but there has been a game where like, oh, Horford really hurt them in that game. No, he's always been, he's pretty much been his self the whole way played, you know, he's even playing back-to-backs, playing well in back-to-backs when, you know, they rest him for a couple of them, but as they should continue to, but um, when they need him, he'll be available for those. And yeah, playing while playing 29 minutes a night. So it's it's really i don't know if it's found money here ryan like you know they made this deal you know they obviously knew horford was going to help them but like you said they could never imagine it could be to this level here and it it certainly sets the stage where horford is not just you know this is not just a one-year thing for him like if he's gonna be playing like this like they're gonna they're certainly gonna be bringing him back and you know potentially you know extending him um at obviously much more reasonable money but knowing that He's just a good fit around a lot of guys on this team. Yeah, just to underline that consistency. So um, basketball reference has game score, right, which I know you know this, but they have, which is just a number that's saying like how good your game was. And a 10 is supposed to be like the average game for a starter. 20 is a very good game. 30 is like a notably amazing game. Um, and so he has 15 games. He has three games below 10. And all the rest of his games are between 10 and 20, right? So every single night. He's giving you this is a above average game for a starting NBA player. And there's no games over 20. He's not giving you triple doubles. He's not giving you anything like that. But like, that's not what they need him to do. It's not what they're expecting to just every single night. He goes out there and plays to the level that they need him to play for, you know, play to. And that's mostly an offensive stat. It's not entirely an offensive stat, but like notably these stats are mostly offensive when you're talking about box score stuff. And he's been better on defense than on offense, I think. And so in terms of like his aggregate play, if you, you know, say, well, this is how good he's been primarily on offense, his defense has been better. He's been, he's just been really good. So I think that's, I agree. That's number one. Um, the other one for me in terms of positives is the way that Marcus Smart is playing. Uh, and particularly since the, whatever they had. The team dinner. player, Yeah. Their team dinner, their him calling people out, whatever it might be. And some of that I think has been a change of role that was notable and something that, that Udoka has, I assume, been a part of, of putting in uh, but sort of since he's become more of a point guard and again back to the stuff that we talked about like hoping for in the beginning of the season when he plays like a point guard he's a better player and when you tell him he's a point guard he plays like a point guard and he becomes a better player and they've just in, 
sort of said, okay, you're going to, when you're out, when you're on the floor, you're going to play more like a point guard than a shooting guard or a small forward or whatever. And it's been really, really good. And his defense, I think has been way better than it was last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's had a couple of games where I like exceptionally good defense and and then a a bunch of games where I thought he was very good. Uh, And on offense, it's just been what we were hoping for, right? Sort of fewer Mm. bad shots. There's still some, there's always some, but fewer bad shots, um, but running a reasonable offense yeah. and assists and low turnovers and, and getting all the stuff that you expect to get out of him because you don't want him thinking that he is going to score 25 points a game because if he thinks he's going to score 25 points a game or that you need him to score 25, 25 points a game, he's going to score 14 points a game on 25 shots. And you, you know, those are the games that you're trying to, to scrub out of it. And so I think that, the, that they have found the right role for him in the last couple of weeks. And that, again, if that's sustainable and it doesn't revert back to some of the bad habits we've seen from in the past, I think that that's been um, a notable positive on the early season. No question. I mean, it, it, it's like the team, it's been a tale of two seasons for him since like that, since his blow up at Tatum and Brown. And I mean, I don't know what you wonder, you know, what was said to each other in those meetings. I mean, and we don't have to rehash that whole situation, but, you know, smart was just as big of a reason that the team was two and five as anyone on the roster at that point. He had come out to the gate, you know, shooting too much, you know, doing all the stuff that he had kind of fallen to a little trap to when they are asking him to do too much. And his turnover rate was very poor in those first seven games. But as you said, like the turnovers are way down. The defense has been following. He's actually leading the league right now in steals, right? 2.3 per game. Um, and then, yeah, like he's, you know, the, the three point shooting was miserable coming out of the game. It's slowly coming back to a reasonable level it's still at 27 percent you know the it's career horrible. it's horrible but it's like that's coming... a funny thing right right so he's 38 percent field goal 28 percent three and yet in like every most of like advanced you know like the advanced analytics sort of one number sort of things he's top 50 in the league because his plus minus stuff right. is like it's it's great um the team just plays better when he's out there and particularly since the team started playing better uh, when he's out there, they've been successful and play really well, but it, it doesn't structurally make a lot of sense. Like your point guard shoots this poorly from two and three, although I think he's been getting to the hoop better and, and maybe just anecdotal. I haven't looked at the stats, but it seems like that, been that Lakers game. Good. <laughs> just look at that yeah, fun it, game. Um, but yeah, steel, he's cut his turnovers and he's up to steals. And as Kevin Peltland said at some point, I don't even remember when he, when he said, if you look at advanced stats and there's a player who doesn't make any sense, it's almost universally because they don't turn the ball over and they get steals because yeah. turnovers are terrible and steals are great, much better than blocks, much, you know, turnovers are worse than assists and steals are much better than blocks. The, the things that we sort of tend to group together. And so if you're a low turnover player who gets a lot of steals, then it, it's just very good. Um, and so even though he can't shoot right now, um, he's at least sort of maybe recognized that a little in himself, taking less shots, been a much better facilitator played far better defense and so i think he's one of the positives on the year and it reminds me of the 2018 2019 year for him um when Kyrie, you know Kyrie's full full season you know the season that went terrible for the celtics overall um but for smart he was fantastic that year and just in that you know secondary playmaking role or primary playmaking role with you know when the ball was not in Kyrie's hands just shooting less um, being an absolute force defensively, uh, not turning the ball over at all, you know, just the the best of both worlds um, on that front end. It took him a little while 
to get back to that or to maybe just accept that role or for the Celtics to get him in the right spots for that role. But now, like I said, in these last 11 games, he's doing it. And despite, you know, really making him like, just imagine if he starts seeing from threes next month, like how positive effect will be on the offense. So that um, will go for you there. But uh, I, I got to give an honorable mention for the surprises. Um, Romeo Lankford, three-point shooting being twice as good as, Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard, fifteen and Grant uh, Williams. Yeah, and, yeah, both, both, of, both of those guys. Yeah, I would not, would not. I mean, Grant's three point shooting last year was pretty much this good. He just the, the rest of his game was was awful. Um, but now, defensively, he is back to the potential he showed in his his rookie season. He's his foul rate has has plummeted, um, which is might be the upside of the year given how it was probably the worst in the NBA last year of, of any big. Um, and yeah, with him and Romeo Lankford being 42% shooters from three right now and shooting at a pretty decent volume, um, I, that, that has to be up there for, if we're going to go in the bench category here. Yeah. I complained particularly early in the year about Neesmith not getting enough run. Um, and it still is sort of frustrating, but the reality is, is that the players who he would be taking minutes from at this point are Romeo Lankford and Grant Williams most likely. And so it's not that no young players are playing. There are two young players who are part of the rotation. Uh, they just are a little bit older than the youngest players on, on the roster. And they've both played, I think, quite well. Again, knowing a role is is part of that. Um, Lankford in particular, I think, and we knew this already. I mean, you saw this in, right away when he came in his first year, even though he didn't play all that much, that, that this sort of uh, Mr. Indiana basketball, all-time great scorer, that kind of stuff just wasn't going to be where it went in his NBA career. Uh, but being kind of a do-it-all glue guy, defender, uh, now making, you know, making catch and shoot threes, things like that is a role that, you know, that's a role that makes you, a, gives you a long lucrative career in the NBA. Um, and so that may be, maybe where this is going. And Grant, <laughs> I felt bad for Grant when he had to defend LeBron as much as he did um, because it reminds that he is still 6'4 and doesn't have the fastest feet in the world. Um, but when he's out there, another player who you, you just kind of feel like good things will happen when, when the ball is near him. Um, and so those have been, been really positive. And, and I think that's sort of why I've had to lay off on the, the complaining about Neesmith stuff though. It's just like, well, it's not that he's not playing any young players. Um, the, the negative in there, I think you would have to say is that the bench, the part of the bench units that they've been playing for still haven't been great. Uh, the yeah. team has been, you know, they are, the team is significantly more negative with Grant and Romeo on than it is with, some of the more veteran guys um, who have been part of the rotation. Uh, Smart is actually, you know, just talking about the best on best cumulative on off uh, for anybody on the team. But yeah, I think that that's fair that those guys have shown the skills to be valuable role players going forward. Um, and the sort of annoyance with not seeing Neesmith is that you is almost that you thought that like he was the one who could establish the most trade value and that it was right. like, oh, we need to have somebody for a trade and, and it, it most likely would be Neesmith or somebody who can sort of break out. And those guys, kind of lower ceiling players it feels like but it doesn't change the fact that you need players who fill all these roles down your roster um and they do seem to be establishing themselves as good good nba players um i mean would you want to keep going with positives or yeah yeah, yeah, if you you have any other honorable mentions that you want to throw in for for kicks yeah so i mean i think again we sort of already mentioned Schroeder's um scoring especially while jalen was out not a surprise but i think josh richardson's played better than i uh, maybe expected as well again he's been part of those bench units that haven't actually like totally performed all that well 
Um, and he takes shots that frustrate me. You know, he still does like to take pull-up twos that you're just like, why are you taking that shot? But um, his defense, I think, has been really good. And particularly, again, when Jalen was out, like the team needed guys who could get you some baskets during periods of the game. Uh, and I thought that he stepped into that, that role well. And again, sort of quieted the, the you know, the complaints about why isn't Neesmith playing. It's like, well, if Richardson isn't doing anything to lose his spot, are you really going to take it away for, for a player who, to this point, hasn't proven that he really has earned those minutes either. So I think that, again, honorable mention, sort of Richardson's been, been pretty decent. Agree. I mean, again, like the rest of the team, that, that West, you know, the, the Florida trip and then Dallas, like Richardson, I think was pretty God awful for the first eight, nine games of the year on the, on the whole, but then. Everybody yes. was. Every, everyone was. It was, it was just like, everybody yeah, was. I mean, it, it really was. I mean, in Horford, Horford has always been good yeah. from the, from out, from out of the gate. Um, but yeah, like it was just, you know, he'd come into the game and he'd take five bad shots and he made, he was making mistakes defensively too, but you know, it seems like everyone's has just figured it out the scheme standpoint. And like I said, those, those mid range jumpers are like not great, like in terms of, you know, longer, but he, he's knocking them down. He's getting to his spots. And when you have limited scores on the bench or other guys that are shooting, you know, 28, 21% from the field, like this is what, you know, a guy like that is, is someone that, Udoka is clearly going to trust, especially since he's had him in Philly before. So if nothing else, you'd sign these, all these guys to an extension. And it's, it's, it's good news that they seem to be fitting into your system after making that kind of commitment to them. Yeah. And again, to go back to that sort of trade value thing, it's Richardson add the extra year to his contract early in the year. You were sort of like, Oh no, why did they do that? And now you're like, ah, oh, maybe he's uh, there'll be teams out there that if the Celtics decide they want to go in a different direction mid season uh, or need to rebalance the roster in some way, then maybe that doesn't look so bad if he's averaging, you know, decent number of points and, and playing in a way that's, that's um, a lot of teams could, could use somebody at that position. So um, good stuff. When, you know, they, when they've been playing well for the last dozen games, it, everything seems positive, right? We can all just ignore the, the early season trouble. I'll th- one more before we move on, which is somehow, I don't know how this is possible. Robert Williams, highest true shooting percentage of his career. <laughs> Not possible. He's been above 70% every year. How is he playing this many minutes and still, over 70% true shooting, and in fact, the highest of his career. The answer is that he only dunks, right? He, his usage is zero. Um, but somehow he has playing much heavier minutes load, maintain the fact that he is a monster offensive finisher. Um, which is he has to shoot. He has to shoot more, by the way. He, I love that. I mean, his teammates must love him for his willingness to kick out on almost every single offensive rebound he gets that he isn't going to dunk immediately. But some of those, like... And Uduga, Ime actually talked yeah. about it being like, hey, you need to um, actually yes. look at the rim on some of these and not kick it out when you have a six foot three guy on you. A lot of tap outs, a lot of the very violent tap outs uh, and a lot of them turning into turnovers. So he's still turning the ball over too much for somebody that plays the way he does. Um, but in again, in total, you look at him as a player and you're like, boy, this is a lot of fun. <laughs> um, and, and it's, it's been helpful to the team. So I think that's, you know, it's all good. I just think it's funny that like you had told me before the season, like, Oh, he's going to play 30 minutes a game and he's going to have the highest true shooting percentage of his career. I'd be like, that's not possible. Right. Like it's just, it, that's what, like Deandre Jordan numbers. Like it's just not possible. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been wild. It's wild to see. And I mean, we're only eight, 18 games in for him, but um, it'll be fascinating to see where that number ends up at the end of the season. All right. So let's look at this now, big picture wise, I guess they have, I was looking at their schedule coming up, Ryan. And so they have, I think 
after they, you know, they had a couple easy games with the Rockets and the Thunder over the weekend here. But now, the, I mean, the next month is essentially a gauntlet. I think the, the only teams that are under 500 that they play in the next, you know, 14 games are San Antonio and Toronto. And Toronto is a, is a solid team. But beyond that, it's, you know, a bunch of playoff teams or a bunch of overachieving teams like Cleveland up until they face the Wolves on like December 27th. And there's a five game West Coast trip in here. So this is, this should be a pretty useful evaluation tool for Brad Stevens as he, you know, decides what he's going to do with this group. He has a number of different directions he can go in with, with the, the, the town, the contracts he signed these guys to, but like what, what do you read into what's coming up here and what, you know, the, the, the brass is going to be watching for in terms of how they decide to move this season. in. Yeah. Even, and it's worth throwing out there that even the Timberwolves are. Yeah. They actually yeah, they waste the league right now. Everybody they play fires their coach after and they're, they're dominating. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, and they also have a lot of like weird travel in here. And there's a couple of back-to-backs, right? They, they think they lead the league in back-to-backs at the end of the year. Yeah. They've got, Get the Utah, Portland, Portland yeah, back to back, one. and then Lakers, Clippers, back to back, all in the same, you know, a couple of days in between, but all in the same week, basically, uh, all on the road, and then you finish it up playing playing the best team in the league in the Suns. Uh, it's we just need to be reasonable and remember that they're playing probably the most difficult schedule in the league over the, the course of December, and so they're going to lose some of those games, and that that means that they'll play much a much easier schedule later in the year. Um, and you just kind of have to stay as level-headed as you can about it. But yeah, they they may very well dip back under 500, right, through through part of this play. And it's just because, like, hey, you're playing a brutal schedule and you have to make it up later. Um, and hopefully that doesn't happen. You can grind out wins here and, and sort of go through and go win, loss, win, loss. That never works. Um, nobody can ever actually do that accurately. But you can sort of go through and be like, okay, I think they can make it through this in, at 500 or something. But if you do, and you're starting two games over 500, like you get one or two games that just sort of don't go your way on luck, you can pretty quickly get back to 500 or below it. Um, and so that's really all it comes down to is like, don't overreact to losses against, you know, if they get blown out on December 10th against the Suns at the end of a five game, six game, yeah, five game West Coast string where they just played double back to backs. Like if they lose that game by a million, that's just because that's what happens. Like it's a schedule loss, like also against a really good team at the end of a road trip. Um, and, and then they come back right after that and play Milwaukee and then golden state. So they need to scrape out wins where they can, they have enough talent to, to win those games, but that I'll, you know, people will have to remind me of that too. when I'm freaking out because they've lost seven of the last 10, just for everybody. You need to come back and remind me like, Hey, they just played the 10 hardest games on their schedule. So maybe don't worry about it too much. Um, and you hope that the front office, I'm mean, sure the front office knows that too and, and won't overreact. The Fortunately, the trade deadline's pretty well out from there. Uh, so it's not like they need to make a decision immediately after to about how they want their season to go. But yeah, they'll, they'll have to just make it up later when they get Knicks, Knicks, Pacers, Pacers, you know, <laughs> coming down a little bit later. And hopefully those teams are, you can put them in your rearview mirror a little bit, that kind of stuff in January when, when the schedule gets a lot easier. People have been talking about this December schedule from like the moment the schedule came out, right? It was so noticeably difficult that the schedule came out. Everybody was like, oh boy, look at that December. That's going to be bad. So I don't know. What else can you do other than try to stay calm? It's, I mean, and you look at, there are a lot of scary opponents on there, but there's also teams that, you know, Cleveland might look a lot different a month from now. Um, 
Philly is on there a couple of times, but you don't have to face him with Ben Simmons at this point. Like you at least are guaranteed that. And who knows? You MB you'd think I mean back for December first, but um you can't really you never know the at this Lakers point. Lakers don't seem as scary now. Right. The Lakers don't seem as scary. The, the Clippers, Clippers are not Clippers you know, don't juggernauts. Have Kawhi, at least. Right. Yeah. Everyone, yeah, everyone across the league outside of the Warriors and you know the Nets on and certain the nights. And the Suns are Suns yeah, are one yeah, in eleven yeah, in a row, twelve in a row, whatever they're yeah, yeah, they're killing team. Yeah. So I mean if they go if they go somehow go like three and two on that West Coast road trip, that's gonna be would be oh if they go three and two, out. then you throw yeah. a party. Two and three is a big win, regardless. Yeah, yeah. If they go two and three, then you come out. I you'd sign for two and three right away. But, um, but yeah, I mean, like what, where do you, it's, it's an interesting road right now in terms of like, you know, the, the team is back on track. It seems like an email has a rotation. He knows his rotation now when they're healthy, he likes it. It seems, and we haven't talked about Cantor yet. Cantor seems to be at least in that rotation for the time being against certain opponents since, you know, it's, it, it's it somehow worked for the last four games. Again, just going with bigger lineups and not going, those smaller lineups with mostly bench guys have been largely disasters so far. So Candor's getting a run for the time being, but do you look to try to like somehow get those guys back into the fold? Like by just, you know, keep giving them opportunities, obviously injuries are going to come up or do you kind of let things roll as they go right now with like, okay, you may, you know, Grant and Romeo's in there with, with Richardson and Schroeder off the bench. That's a fine nine to go with and let, just let that group go. And yeah, you know, the young guys aren't building any trade value that you'd want in Neesmith for Pritchard or just not even, you know, value as, as bench players, but you potentially build a team that has, I don't know, like more, is it more promise or just like building some value for the potential veterans in that group that you might consider dealing down the road, whether that's Richardson, Schroeder, et cetera. So your, your audio cut out for me a bit there for a second. So I hope that was just for me and not for everybody else, but I get the the, the question <laughs> just so you know. Um, so if anybody else couldn't hear it, uh, then sorry. But um, right, my answer is always going to be not to play in his canter no matter what. Uh, <laughs> I don't care what the CIA says. It's not worth playing him. <laughs> I think that they would, ultimately they will look to upgrade the third center position in part because for all that Al's been great, he is 35. And for all that Rob's been great, he does right. have questionable health. And Grant Williams, like I said, is six foot four. So it's hard to, to count on him as your center. And Bruno Fernandez not doing anything for you. Jabari right Parker center attempt was a disaster. Bruno doesn't really play. Um, that should be a cheap position though, right? To like, to, to find someone without having to give up too much so that you can, you know, kind of play at least like 10 or 15 minutes a game. If you Unfortunately, Daniel Tice makes $8 million a year. <laughs> we just played them and, and he does, there's no reason for him to be on that one in 16 tire fire. Uh, so I would, you know, I'm not even asking for Christian Wood. I would certainly take Daniel Tice back as the as a third center. Um, yeah, you would think that that that's a position that you can always find an upgrade at. The only trick there is that you are looking for somebody who can particularly play like the system you have. That's been the most noticeable thing about Cantor playing, is that like they just can't play defense the same way. Right. It's not that they can't. It's not that he can't play defense to fit. Like the rest of the team has to accommodate by playing a different way. And I imagine, I mean, I've never played an NBA game. A professional NBA players maybe be like, no, that's not a problem. But like the having to shift back and forth between one defensive system and another for this like five minute stretch a couple of times a game, because you just have one player who forces the rest of the team to, to play in a different way. seems like it's less than ideal and that you would like to have somebody who can fit into that role. Now it is possible that Grant, even though he is 6'4", against other bench units, 
could be okay in that role? Like how many teams, I know a lot of teams have gone through this thing where they tried to have like post mashers who can go after like bad backup centers and that's where, but that's really shifted away. Like that was sort of a fad for a couple of years. There just aren't guys who scare you on other bench units. Now you can run into some matchups where the sort of rotations don't work out and you get stuck with Grant Williams defending Joel Embiid for a couple of possessions. You're like, oh, that was a mistake. Don't want that to happen ever again. But as they add more guys, like the minutes that you want to come out of the rotation would still be like less canter, right? Right. Jalen back to his full minutes load as that ramps up. And then you just get back to a, to a spot where it's like, we have a lot of guys on the team who can play a lot of minutes because they're good players. And like, that's why it's ultimately a good team, right? Like Jalen and Jason are going to play a lot of minutes. They just are. Marcus is playing probably too many minutes, but you know, that'll reasonably come down when they, when they get back to full health and they have Jalen back and Josh Richardson back and all that. So you have the sort of, natural three-man rotation or four-man rotation with Romeo at like the sort of one and two. You've got your wings and Jalen and Jason. You've got your center and big men and, and Al, Rob, and Grant. And I think that that's your, your natural nine. Now, the caveat to that is that the regular season is long, and we just talked about how difficult their schedule is going to be and how they have weird travel and a bunch of back-to-backs. So everybody's going to play. Everybody has to play. Um, there are positions that I would ideally like to upgrade. There are positions where I would like to see some of the young players get a little bit more run and actually play better when they get that opportunity but at the moment, it's hard to complain about anything, right? Like, that's why I said, like, I've had to sort of cool it on complaining about Neesmith because it's like, well, I don't know everything. It appears that I was wrong. Great. I would rather be wrong in the team win than be right and then continue to lose. Um, so it's hard to complain about any of that stuff. And and some of the things maybe get, you know, get upgraded in the, in the middle of the year. But as they go through this stretch, if they stay healthy, then I think you're looking at a really strong nine and then sort of 10 through 12 that are going to play some based on where you are in the schedule. And then a couple guys all the way at the end who are like, unfortunately, haven't worked out really at all. And the reason they got picked up in the first place is sort of circumstance. And everybody has, you know, nobody's 14th guy plays a lot because if, if they did, they wouldn't be the 14th guy. So, um, well, it's, it's also nice now, too, from that standpoint, like you said, like they have that they can just stay that course. But they actually do have some movable salary for a change um, that won't hurt them at all. I mean, they all and they in addition to having a TPE, which I mean, well. You know, we'll go down this road further, but they're they're in the tax right now, and it's it's probably yeah they're not you know they're not going to add they're not going to add more money without you know unless it's like a, a turn, turns them into a, a bona fide contender, which I don't think that that trade is out there. But they can you know turn on Gomez like that's seven million dollars you can you know attach a pick to and maybe get like you said one of those upgrades you're looking for um, at the center spot or you know different part of the bench or you can open you know if guys like Richardson is you know. Oh, having a really good year and there's some contenders that are think they're one player away and might you know want to do some some interesting bidding on a guy if the market's pretty soft out there in terms of talent like that that's an option they can go to so it's it's good to have multiple avenues and it it's lining up right now where they, they at least will even if a couple of the guys they hope would be building value and Pritchard and Neesmith might that might not be happening this year at all. It also looks like you don't have to, you know, hold on to your assets for Brad Beal because they're seemingly uh, happy and playing well down in Washington. So um, maybe you can trade your draft mm. pick without being quite so, uh, quite so concerned about what else might come there. Same with Zach Levine, right? Does it, it doesn't look like right. they're, yeah, not, they're not gonna they're not gonna be afraid of that contract and move off him either midseason. Um, so it, it does open up some sort of possibilities in terms of being more okay with moving that that first round pick if you're looking for an upgrade. And right, it'll depend on where they are. 
because uh, if they get to the trade deadline and they still look like they in the last 12 games have been what they look like instead of the first seven games, then they're obviously going to be a lot more aggressive um, in terms of how they use it. To me, Richardson's the one that's that's most interesting. Um, Hernan Gomez because he's just not playing. Like there's no, it's a negative value contract at this at this point. Uh, whereas Richardson, I think you could say it's sort of a neutral value, and because he plays a position that you would think that some of those minutes could go to Neesmith and Pritchard if they are able to to reestablish anything. But again, like we talked about, it's that's not a knock on him. He's playing well. Um, they don't have to do anything. Uh, so it's not like I'm, this isn't one of those cases of like, you got to get off this guy. Like, can we add, add two picks to him and, and upgrade there or something like that? Like it's entirely a question of roster balance. And like, they have a lot of sort of smaller wings. And as we've been talking about for basically since like Marcus Morris left, right? Like they, they are missing the big defensive three and D wing. So is most of the rest of the league. There aren't enough of those guys around. They're hard to get. They cost you a lot to get. Um, there are, you know, a few of them out there, but you're, you are talking about roster balance, not about underperformance from these players. Uh, other, you know, again, other than Hernan Gomez, who just looks like this may be his last contract in the NBA or something like that. But um, so it's good. It's lots of positives because again, because they're playing really well and they. So everything looks, looks like you're going into the, the difficult time of the year where we'll just have to, to stay level-headed and keep me in, in, you know, in check from, from freaking out and thinking that they do need to trade everybody because they probably don't. They probably are actually pretty well-suited. And they play, in my opinion, more on defense, but even somewhat on offense, a style that is suited to the playoffs. Um, and you know, nobody wants to play you if you have a top three defense and two really good wing scorers. Uh, even, even the best teams don't want to run into that in the playoffs necessarily. So a lot of positives there. Does um, when on this, are you... You were, I mean, I guess you were kind of like middle of the road on the Schroeder signing. Obviously you wanted him for the money. Do you, is there any path where you would want him in Boston over the long term? I know that's, it's would probably involve him and like, it would only, it would have to involve him taking a, a discount next year and then, you know, getting bird rights that way. Yeah. I mean, he either gets, I mean, you don't ever want to say it, but either he gets injured or he plays so poorly for the rest of the season that he prices himself back into what they can, you know, I'll pay him by rule, you know, $7 million basically. Um, if he continues to play at the level that he's playing at, which because of the way he plays, he's always probably a little bit of an overrated player, right? You score a lot of points in the way he scores points, like the across your value is always just going to get a little bit inflated, but they can't come anywhere close to what somebody will pay him, even with not a ton of cap space out there. If he continues to score 20 points a night um, on a good team. So I would rather that he continue to play. I would rather he play well enough to price himself off the team than play poorly enough to come back into the price range. Right. Cause even yeah. like that doesn't get you anywhere. Uh, so it's been really good. And I, I don't think there's any way that, that they can keep him for the rest of the year. If he does play well, the only thing you can do is right. You can offer him everything you have and then say, Hey, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge next year. We'll have your early bird rights. And so we can pay you at least like over $10 million. We can't sign it to you now, but Hey, you know, I'm, that contract I'm sure would be out there if you, if you want to come back. But the problem is like, even then he would get more than that allows you to pay um, from, you know, probably on the open market right away. So it's hard to see how, how he comes back, but uh, trying to be the positive podcast today, going, go, going into the <laughs> holiday, I will say that it's been positive. He's been better than I expected him to be. Um, he's doing it well he looks 
you know, quick and athletic and healthy and looking good on, on what he's doing. Um, and long may it continue. And uh, if he goes off and gets a big contract in the off season, then it worked out well for everybody and no hard feelings. That's we're going to have to wrap it up right there. Cause that's just, just the overflowing positivity here for this holiday week is, 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 is taking over right now. And we need to, to, we can't end it on a better note than that. Um, Ryan Brandoni, follow him at danger cart on Twitter. Um, a pleasure to have you on for the, the maiden voyage of the winning place podcast in the, uh, the post rich era. rich. We, we miss you, but we, we hope you'll be listening. Um, Ryan filling your shoes quite nicely for week one here. And, um, I'll enjoy- say what you don't want to say, which is happy Thanksgiving to you and everybody else, except Rich and Mike, who are dead to the podcast. Now. <laughs> <laughs> off the- <laughs> come on, come on. I know you got to be, you know, you got to, you got to be I nice. Thought, I'm, I'm here to, to I thought I was going to turn into an, an F Thanksgiving Kyrie joke. I thought that's where you're going to go with that one, but um, I'll leave, I'll leave that I, I understand the, the political, the, the problems with Thanksgiving, I understand, but I really like stuffing and family. So, um, well, you're, and you're hosting to everybody. Yes, and you're hosting for how many, Ryan? Uh, 22, hopefully hopefully we all, 22 vaccinated individuals and hopefully yes. everything goes well. And I hope everybody else has a, a, a nice holiday and can see family that they haven't seen recently as well, um, including you and your family. Amen to that. Uh, we'll get a, I want to, I just want you all for a report on the 20, how it was feeding 22 uh, next week, since that's something, that's an endeavor that I, my wife and I would always be afraid to attack, but I hope you have a great time. Family, hope everyone out there has a great time with their family or friends or whoever you're uh, spending time with this week. And we will be back with you guys um, next week to see how, um, if this other good times continue to roll here.